Welcome to StartupCTO.io, the podcast about the art of leading teams who build great software, because your CS degree didn't teach you how to lead. And now, StartupCTO.io. Hello and welcome. We're continuing on with our Emerging Tech series. This month, we are joined by Matt Walters, a blockchain engineer at Consensus and former Techstars CTO, and Reese Lindmark, an independent blockchain engineer, for a very special blockchain episode of Startup CTO IO. Join us as we share stories about Web3, a hacking story, blockchain engineering stories, and to learn a little bit more about the human operating system. Enjoy! Alrighty. Hi, thanks for joining the show, everyone. This is Kevin Iwaki, and I am joined by two very special guests today. Uh, Matt Walters, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Matt Walters. I've got kind of a, a varied past. Grew up in Texas, computer science. Uh, ended up in the Bay Area because I kind of always knew I would. Um, had sort of a consulting um, uh, adventure there where... I was sort of constantly interviewing at startups because I uh, my rationale for getting to California was finding a startup I could be extremely passionate about. Um, ended up getting a job offer as a consultant and kind of uh, just bid my time that way and interviewed at lots of startups but never found uh, one that really fit the bill for me. And then it ended up being a, a year and a half sort of backpacking adventure in South America that really got me into startups where I met some friends who were bootstrapping companies down in, down in Buenos Aires. One thing led to another, ended up back in, uh, in the Bay Area, founded a Techstars company, went through Techstars Seattle, moved that to New York, um, discovered Node.js on the way, and have had a bunch of varied experiences building things from high-tech touchscreen treadmills to a corporate bond exchange, uh, and then uh, more recently, the universe has led me to the, uh, the cryptoverse working at Consensus. Cool. Welcome. I think you're the first guest on the show who's introduced themselves by saying, I have a varied past. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. Welcome. Uh, and then our second guest for the day is uh, Reese Lindmark. Reese, you want to go ahead and give an intro for yourself? Hello, everybody. Kevin, thanks for having me on the show. And note that all three of us are Techstars CTOs, which is cool. Um, uh-huh. uh, my past is I was also a computer science major, also very into teaching and education, um, co-founded a music education startup uh, called Edify, which went through Techstars Boulder in 2015, um, and then left recently to focus more on the blockchain for good space, so kind of the intersection of effective altruism and blockchain. And within that space, I do a couple various things there. Um, I primarily think about Albert Wenger's world after capital and how we're switching from a world where we're going from scarce capital to scarce time. And the transition point there will be through universal basic income and then into an attention economy. Um, so within that space, I kind of I have like a podcast and a Patreon site called Creating a Humanist Blockchain Future um, that kind of helps me uh, help the world and help the crowd um, create this new great uh, blockchain world that we want to be part of. Um, so that's why I'm here and excited to talk about some uh, crypto CTO stuff. Great. Uh, and so the common thread between all three of us is not only the, the past as a text or a CTO, but it's blockchain and cryptocurrency. So boy, what a rabbit hole that we could go down. What do, where do you guys want to start? 
I got hacked. <laughs> yeah, all right. Let's let's hear the story. It, it, it was just yesterday. Um, and the the key thing with this is it's kind of funny. So, um, well, it's sad and funny. But um, people talk about hacks within the crypto space a bunch. Um, and you know, it was relatively recently that Fred Wilson uh, had a post June fourth about um, being hacked. And I read those things, but because I'm kind of on this weird kind of effective ultra side, and I have like a self imposed income cap, I like own less than like five thousand dollars total um, in my life. So because of that, I was like, I don't really need to worry about this stuff. I don't have any cryptocurrency. I didn't want to be like incentivized um but i still was hacked by someone uh yesterday they somehow took my cell phone um went to a t-mobile store or it took my cell phone number slash sim card um and then i think used the two-factor authentication to um essentially get into my gmail and reset a bunch of passwords etc um and then the funny thing though was that they did two things after after they got to that point uh they were essentially looking for money and found none um so sent me an email with some kind of mean words about me and because they were probably frustrated but also with stuff like, hey, you are, um, you're poor, essentially, um, LOL. Um, so there's that, which was kind of funny. And then the other thing that they did, which was kind of funny, was they then, um, Gmail has like a starred system, so you can star something to bring it up. And they starred, um, I get Fred Wilson's blog, the AVC um, blog, and he starred the post that was getting hacked lessons learned as like a reminder to me to do this That's like five-point checklist or whatever. Wow. So, so I, I mean, you're a, a techie guy. I'm assuming you had two factor on. Did you just have two factor backed up to your mobile phone or something? I so you assume that I'm a te- you. I am a techie guy. I'm pretty lazy. I'm not sure if I had two factor for my Gmail. To be honest. Um, okay. So that's. I mean, and I think that's why. And I think that they then activated the two factor with their version of my number. Um, I'm not sure exactly the chain of things that allowed them to get to there. The other thing is I had like a random old email address, pretty much all the five points that Fred said not to have. I like had them. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny. It sounds like this is a pretty common attack that's popping up these days. And whenever I hear about people getting this hack, it's always T-Mobile. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I'm not sure how to solve that because, you know, T-Mobile is not going to do a great job of beefing up the security practices uh, for people who are walking into their stores. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, it's pretty scary stuff. And I yeah, recommend whoever, whoever has clearly followed you enough to know that you were involved in the crypto space, but not enough to know your real angle. Exactly, exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, cool. So, uh, so we've got a story out of Reese. Uh, Matt, would you tell us a little bit about what you're up to in the blockchain space? Sure. Yeah. So I started getting more deeply involved uh, in blockchain over the last year, and um, most people that work for Consensus that I uh, talk to have these funny stories where they uh, kind of trip the line between uh, whether they just sort of uh, evolutionarily found their way to uh, Consensus or if perhaps life is actually a video game and just like the universe has led them there. But people Mm -hmm. have these funny uh, stories, and... Uh, I've got one, but uh, it ended up um, at least partly being influenced by me running into a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in about three and a half years. Uh, and I run the Node.js meetup in New York, uh, and I used to be sort of a mentor um, to this guy in the JavaScript community, but he, he disappeared for maybe about three and a half years. And so I go to this party over in, uh, in Williamsburg in Brooklyn, and I'm riding this elevator that opens up sort of immediately into this person's kitchen. Never been to this person's apartment before. Uh, walk in, and someone from across the room yells, Matt. And there it is. It's my friend uh, Jeff, who I hadn't seen in a while. 
uh, we proceed to have basically the nerdiest conversation at the party uh, where I tell him everything that I've been getting into and he reveals to me that he was basically like employee number 10 or something like that at, at Consensus. Um, so that sort of uh, you know led me to start wondering if the universe was guiding me uh, and uh, really within, quick, really quick, Matt. What if just yeah. since our audience is startup CTOs that might not be in the blockchain space, what is consensus? Yeah, so uh, consensus is sort of um, this big name in the blockchain uh, space, and uh, it is a venture studio for building protocols and applications, distributed apps. Uh, that run uh, primarily on the Ethereum blockchain. We do have uh, some teams within the company that are building things that are either blockchain agnostic or on other chains, but it's mostly the Ethereum blockchain. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when I say that, it's sort of this like two-part company. Uh, part of its mission uh, is what's referred to as the mesh, which is like everyone in consensus. Um, their job is just to build consensus uh, and, and Ethereum itself, meaning that some people work on uh, core protocols on uh, Ethereum. Uh, some people work on enterprise projects, uh, anything to sort of get um, developer tools and make the ecosystem healthier. Uh, but it's also uh, a bit of an incubator. Uh, and so there's lots of teams within consensus that are referred to as spoke teams. And they're building individual protocols, uh, be it protocols for... Um, uh, distributed exchanges or for file sharing or uh, prediction networks, all these sort of uh, second level things that you can build on top of the Ethereum blockchain uh, since you have um, smart contracts allowing you to sort of like build these layers of, of complexity on top. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in addition to that, there's also plenty of distributed apps. So um, okay. that's kind of what consensus is. Um, it's kind of one of the biggest names in, in blockchain. Um, we are also, also sort of a distributed company. Uh, so mm -hmm. although we have a, an office in, in Bushwick and in Brooklyn, we've got people all around the world. Um, so that's got what it. consensus so, so it seems like to the extent that you can be at the center of a decentralized mm -hmm. uh, ecosystem, consensus is a great place to do it. Uh, and you met your friend at a party, you said, and felt like maybe the universe was pulling you in that direction. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I ended up having so I ended up having a conversation with uh, Joseph Lubin, who's the uh, the CEO, and uh, that was sort of the the end of my interviews with people. And he uh, used this great word uh, to describe what I was to next embark on, and that was an odyssey, <laughs> which is kind of the perfect uh, word to describe the culture of the of the company. Uh, and so the next two days I spent basically having 12 conversations with a bunch of different spoke teams and enterprise uh, and, and uh, people from sort of the core mesh team as well uh, to figure out right. where I was going to land in the company. Um, and uh, I ended up on a project called Grid Plus. And at Grid Plus, uh, where I'm now the, uh, the lead architect, uh, we're essentially creating a retail energy provider. We're starting in Texas in a deregulated energy market. But we're showing that you can use the blockchain uh, to do um, real-time uh, micropayments uh, for energy consumption. Um, so we're actually making a real retail energy provider. Uh, we're making a hardware device that goes in people's homes and talks to their smart meter uh, and will uh, basically watch their energy usage and allow us to sell them um, energy at near wholesale prices. Uh, in the future, we'll be able to add some really neat stuff like having the agent communicate with different devices like a Nest device in your home uh, mm -hmm. to uh, control it to uh, reduce your energy consumption. It can do right. smart things like um, 
load up, if you have like a Tesla Powerwall, it can load up your battery at night when energy prices are lower and then you can use it during, use that energy during the day, et cetera. Right. So uh, I've only gotten about halfway through the Grid Plus white paper. Uh, in, in, for one. those of us who are uh, generally in tech but haven't gotten into blockchain yet, uh, one of the ways that a project is announced is, is through a white paper, which is like a 45 page sometimes paper that describes all the aspects of the business and is put out for investors across the internet to invest in a project. Uh, and it seems like for Grid Plus, we're sort of preparing for this future in which energy is a little bit more distributed than it is today with everyone having solar panels on their on their roofs. Is that sort of part of the macro picture? Yeah. Um, so we're, we're aiming for something that's sort of a, a number of steps along the way, you know, um, mm-hmm. the the long-term vision is to um, is to see our, our 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 energy consumption across our entire economy sort of um, undergo a complete electrification. Uh, we mm-hmm. want to have electric cars replace uh, combustion engines, um, and in doing so, uh, not only do you reduce you know carbon emissions, but you end up increasing the efficiency of your electrical usage in, in general. Um, mm-hmm. And then you and, and then after that phase, you start seeing these sort of like derivative effects where like, say you have a car, uh, you might not have a Tesla power wall, but you may still be able to use your car as a battery um, backup to uh, basically commit excess load back into uh, the grid at night when you're not using your car. So mm-hmm. there are these interesting uh, things that end up happening where you can reduce your overall costs. And by reducing your overall costs, you're actually reducing load on the grid which makes it easier for the utility to balance the grid and makes it uh, more robust, more stable, uh, which is a characteristic of distributed uh, networks in general. Yep. Um, so this is the okay. this is the direction that, that we should go for all sorts of uh, of security reasons, and in this case, it's a it's an energy security reason. Okay, oh, that's super interesting. So I want to take a step back and uh, talk about the ecosystem in general. Uh, I've heard blockchain applications described as Web3. Uh, do you guys think that uh, Ethereum has the potential to be the backbone of the third generation of web applications? And uh, if so, what excites you about it? And I guess, Reese, let's start with you since uh, we've been talking to Matt a little bit recently. Well, yeah, so one thing that I think about in this space that I want to say about consensus is it's part of this, there's Web3 and there's also like uh, the kind of VC 3.0 side of this. And this is, I think, connected to the Web3 and Ethereum piece here. And I, I think of consensus, there's this great piece by Julian Moncada, who, where he talks about what as VCs, as their like funding element gets kind of disintermediated by ICOs, then, or token sales, then what do, should VCs do? And I think that consensus is the perfect example of what someone should do in the space, which is just build. Um, they're essentially making it so that Ethereum is easier to build on. And it's you get these really interesting things where like um, people, consensus will just hire people just to build open source software to make it easier for other people to build distributed apps. Um, and mm-hmm. why would they do that? Why are they financially incentivized? Well, because if they do that, they control some ETH and then the price of ETH goes up because more people are you know using smart contracts. Um, and so I think that I do truly think that something like Ethereum or any of the other smart contract platforms, EOS, Tezos, what have you, um, that they can be um, part of this new Web 3.0, especially because the kind of underlying incentive structure um, is a new kind of incentive structure that allows for more collaboration. 
Yeah, there's a there's a really interesting uh, angle that I hear um, repeated from um, some people inside of Consensus who I particularly like to hear from, just because there's a lot of really really smart minds in there, and some of them have have just really great perspectives. And one of those perspectives that I hear a lot is um, in regards to where should you place your bet. So you know, Reese just mentioned uh, some competing technologies. Uh, so there's uh, there's EOS and there's there's IOTA, right? And so we're, we're very much early days in, in in figuring out what technology will win here. Um, I think the end game will definitely be satisfying the the question you asked, Kevin. Of like, are these things going to bring Web three? Um, but the real question is uh, is kind of like which one? And and I think a lot of people are going to uh, look at this and, and be excited and, and think, well, now that I'm getting into this, where should I spend my time? Uh, and, and the recommendation that I would repeat just because I, I found it really motivational and seems smart is that um, the best place to bet your time is probably where the smartest people are already betting theirs. Yep. And uh, I don't know how many listeners of this podcast have taken the time to go and like maybe watched uh, Vitalik uh, Buterin speak on YouTube or look at one of his uh, uh, one of his blog posts, but I remember, you know, years ago, someone was talking about how, you know, there's this kid named Vitalik and he's 19 and he's a prodigy. And I just kind of like rolled my eyes a little bit. I'm like, oh, here we go. Another, another, you know, kid programmer being called a prodigy. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, maybe some months after that, I ended up actually reading one of his blog posts and it's just mathematical proofs to a level that I just could not (laughs) uh, get to, uh, to comprehension of. So, um, it's not just uh, Vitalik. Vitalik's an incredibly brilliant guy. There are other very brilliant people who are working on Ethereum. There are smart people who are working on a number of these other blockchain projects as well. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the really um, um, just great things about Consensus is that it's now about 300 people all with a common goal. And that common goal is that a rising tide raises all ships. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you guys are a force multiplier on each other and on the ecosystem. That's right. And one of the other things that I find to be really fascinating and uh, one of the things that I really hope for is that, you know, we've got a lot of really big problems in the world. Um, And whether that's, you know, uh, food scarcity, um, climate change, just problems with governance in general, um, fraud in government, fraud in financial markets. um, The blockchain um, lends itself to being a potential solution for any number of these problems. And I feel like we really have a limited amount of time to make as large of a stride forward as possible um, before some of those existing forces might try and sort of push back. Um, yeah, could I please? Or could I could I get on that for a please, second? Because yeah. I super this is this is very aligned with the kind of the effective altruist piece here. And um, do either of you guys know effective altruism too well? By the way, or I can I can explain to the listeners briefly. It's a, it's a concept that you should uh, be very outcome-focused and kind of metric-focused with the good that you do in the world because there's lots of different ways to do good and that you should try to kind of treat all humans as equal. So a human in you know rural Kenya or in Singapore or whatever is the same as one in America. Um, and from that framework and that philosophical framework, it was kind of started as a, a rationalist uh, community in San Francisco plus a philosophical community in Oxford. Um, as a result of those two things, you get um, a bunch of kind of conclusions where you're trying to maximize for um, the, the outcomes there of like goodness for humanity. Um, and part of their, a lot of the things on their top list are like risks from artificial intelligence, promoting effective altruism, things of that variety. And right now they don't, there's not too much blockchain in the effective altruist land, but I think that um, for a lot of people, 
like Matt that have kind of been into and seen and, and like you as well, Kevin, that have seen this kind of new blockchain world where you can kind of change incentives. And by changing incentives, you can incentivize new kinds of behavior. And um, a big thing in the effective altruist world is issues with game theory, where like a risk from artificial intelligence is essentially um, – the issue there is that you have Google and Facebook who both want to create a good AI or an, an AI that can, um, you know, automate jobs and automate tasks as quickly as possible. And you get kind of neither of them wants to slow down or whatever. So it's kind of like game theoretical um, arms race issue. And in the blockchain world, it's we're so good at saying, oh, there's a tragedy of the commons here. Let's fix it. Or, oh, there's a prisoner's dilemma here. Let's let's fix it. Um and so I think that by changing the underlying incentives, you're able to kind of do a deep underlying macro change on kind of how the human operating system works. Yeah, the human operating question? system. <laughs> yeah. That, so is, it, is that too too large? What do you guys this think? This is a bit of a, of a tangent, so I'll just throw it in there. But it does remind me of comments that I've heard uh, sort of in response to the question of uh, what is humanity now? Is humanity still just a, uh, a race of mammals that are evolving, or are we actually one with technology and we don't realize that all of us together are a larger organism, uh, which is technology uh, evolving across the world? Mm-hmm. So, so take me through like a, an example of the human operating system. Like, so we, I think the answer you gave was very articulate, but. Uh, sort of like abstract. So I'm I'm, I'm curious, like yes. as a like what what is an example of a of a game theoretic system that uh, could be optimized through blockchain in the effective altruism space? Yeah, so that's a good question. So um, there's a couple different versions of this, but I think the easiest one from my perspective is something. So there's uh, people are talking about uh, this concept called like a shared outcome coin um, or a social impact coin. Uh, you can also think of kind of like a social impact bond. And the idea is that um, when a given impact, people can essentially buy into a given coin. And then when, um, and there's a couple different ways to to, to, to incentivize people to, uh, after the price, price of the coin increases, but you incentivize people to buy into a given coin. And after that point, you can kind of imagine, so uh, I'm still a little bit abstracted. Let me kind of take it down and put it into a risk from artificial intelligence situation. So you have Google and you have Facebook, and both of them want to make faster AIs um, and better AIs to automate various tasks. If you can instead say, hey, both of you guys, let's, what is the actual outcome that you want for humanity right now? And when most of them say, well, what we just want is like the world to be a better place or whatever, um, you know, to live in a world of abundance or something like that. And you can say, okay, sweet. Let's make, let's take that idea, those words that you're saying, and let's actually tokenize them essentially and say, hey, let's turn that into um, an outcome that we're looking for here. Um, and by turning that into an outcome, then you can kind of use crypto tribalism and you can use incentives around that coin and various crypto economics around that coin to make it the case that the people from Google and the people from Facebook are kind of bought into the shared outcome instead of bought into the sub outcomes. Mm-hmm. Was that still too abstract? No, I don't think so. I mean, so what we're talking about is like sort of code is law. So you can align incentives yeah. across a group of people to create social good. Exactly. And, and it's kind of a way to say, hey, if there's actually if both if like the three of us all just want to make this podcast good, well, let's create let's instead of just saying that in meat space, let's actually take that and turn it into and what I mean by meat space is like human physical reality. Let's instead take that and turn it into the kind of uh, dry space of code and say, hey, let's 
let's represent that with a token and mm. then we can be we can do what we want with that token to kind of align around that shared good you know it's interesting um this is sort of a discussion of the explicit representation of sort of like the human operating system that comes out of uh out of the algorithms that define these protocols um but there are even sort of implicit um examples of this in the protocols that already exist and you know one of the most obvious ones right now is the debate between proof of work and proof of stake. So uh, currently, both um, Ethereum and Bitcoin and a number of other blockchains work off of an algorithm called proof of work in order to verify transactions. Uh, and um, one of the benefits of proof of work is that it is difficult. Um, and it's difficult, uh, and the fact that it's difficult uh, means that uh, your transactions are more secure. There's sort of an inverse relationship to that. But also because it's difficult, uh, you need really high-powered computing uh, systems in order to process these sort of like hashing algorithms to, uh, to solve this guessing game that tells you whether or not you verified a transaction. Uh, and the end result of that has created uh, this crazy arms race where there is now a worldwide shortage of GPUs and people are putting like eight GPUs on a single motherboard. Um, and the result of that now is the world's largest distributed systems, the Bitcoin uh, and Ethereum networks and the Ethereum uh, blockchain, in some total can only process like seven transactions a second. So with all mm -hmm. this millions of dollars of super high-tech hardware, we're now at seven transactions a second. <laughs> now that's because it's uh, using this proof of work. Um, we, uh, there are now plans to move to a different algorithm called Casper, which is proof of stake, where instead you dramatically lower the difficulty of the hashing algorithm. You just make people that are running that hashing algorithm put some cash in escrow, and if they're caught cheating, they lose that, that escrowed cash. Um, so at that mm -hmm. point, you can now dramatically increase the, um, the number of transactions per second. But the ethical question now becomes... Uh, what is the sort of like end, end result or what's the enabling uh, factor for these two different algorithms? And in the first one, anyone can get rich with proof of work. With proof of stake, you have mm -hmm. to have money to make money so the rich get richer. So now if we come back to sort of like the, the human operating system part, like what is this doing culturally or ethically as a, uh, as a, a function of, uh, you know, possibly replacing uh, future monetary systems? Um, you know, what's the what is the end result of this? And I'm, I'm happy that a lot of the people who are working on this stuff right now seem to be good people and are very smart people. Um, and I hope that it stays that way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so there's trade-offs with each of them. I mean, with proof of work, you're, I think Ethereum is burning enough electricity to power a small country right now. So uh, there's, there's trade-offs, I, I think, with, with both of them. Uh, in full disclosure, I've built Ethereum miners in the past, so I've been one of those guys that's sucking down all the electricity. <laughs> but it's it was massively profitable for a while. Uh, but you know, it seems like proof of stake is maybe the future for Ethereum. So I'm I'm uh, curious to see see how that evolves. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, actually, to, to switch topics for a second, do you want to, I know in general, you ask the other people questions, but since you're deep in the system as well, you also just won a hackathon. Um, yep. Do you want to tell us about your, your hackathon, uh, what you made? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Uh, so I'm trying to learn about the space. And one of the ways to do that is to uh, meet as many smart people as possible in the space. Uh, I got invited to go out to LA for what is called the Dapathon. So dis distributed apps are called Daps, and 
BCG, Boston Consulting Group, put together this hackathon called the Dapathon. And uh, they basically flew a bunch of nerds out to LA for the weekend and we built cryptocurrency apps. Uh, so it was a, a three-day event in their space. And I, I mean, it was fun. It was, it was kind of like for them, it was like a ruse to trick a bunch of blockchain developers to come into their space so that they could try to hire us. But uh, yep. part of, part of the, the bait was these prizes at the end of the hackathon for people who built the most viable apps. Uh, I forget what the criteria were, but uh, viability of the business model, like the team. And, uh, and anyway, I, we, we created this tool called You've Got ETH, which is a, uh, a play off of the You've Got Mail AOL sound effect from the 90s. If anyone else is an 80s or a 90s kid, then you probably know the sound effect that I'm talking about. And uh, the tool that we built is called You've Got ETH. It's uh, a way to send Ethereum to any email address. So the idea is that it allows people to evangelize the ecosystem by sending Ethereum to an email address. And uh, the reason that's powerful is that there's a heavy tribalism in cryptocurrencies, wherein if you own Ethereum, you want it to grow because you want your portfolio to appreciate. And uh, if you give someone Ethereum and then say, check out the ecosystem, it's a much powerful message, much more powerful message than, hey, Ethereum's cool, check it out, get verified on Coinbase and then buy some. So it's just like a way of giving people like a free sample of Ethereum. And it's live at you've got ETH.github.io under the MIT license. We completely open sourced it and we were lucky enough to get upvoted by the Reddit community to, to win the community Ooh. vote. So uh, we've got three grand that we're developing or that we're dividing between the four person development team. Uh, I'm a total dummy. And while I was building the app over the weekend, I accidentally sent some of my mainnet Ethereum to a test RBC nice. address. Nice. So uh, I'm just breaking even on the app, <laughs> on the app that we built because uh, I don't have the private key to that, to that address. But uh, still, it was a cool experience. And we met some great people in the space. <laughs> That's hilarious. I think that the uh, I want to go uh, click deeper on that what you said about the crypto tribalism and how that's mm. such a key part of this ecosystem. Um, where back in the day, if I asked you guys, say, "Hey, do you want to join my new network?" Um, you guys wouldn't be incentivized financially incentivized to join it. You know, like the tenth person who joined Facebook didn't get anything for that. Um, mm -hmm. But as you guys say, with crypto uh, currency, you say, "Hey, do you want to join this new thing?" And if you get in at the beginning, then you have some of the initial um, tokens, and then those tokens appreciate over time as the ecosystem and as the crypto tribalism grows. Um, and so it changes the kind of network effects, and it means that people who, yeah, you can actually create new networks um, where you couldn't before because you can bootstrap them and not get um, beaten by a catch twenty two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's super important. I mean, I think that cryptocurrencies are interested for interesting for a lot of reasons, but the game theoretic reasons of, of how they grow are really important when you're building a system where code is law. Yep. Can I ask you guys another a question here, actually? Around, sure, doing is, my job for no, me sorry, as a co-host. I love it. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, this is just, I think, one of the most fascinating things in the space, which is what is your guys' thoughts around this kind of um, – because you have this new decentralized distributed world, um, and part of that is like, okay – 
um, you used to have these core teams that would build things, but now you can kind of incentivize open source software, um, and uh, you can, and with that, you can you want to kind of make it so that the crowd, the full crowd, and all the distributed world people that they can get in on the software that you're building. How do you guys think that changes what it means to be like a startup CTO or like on the in the core part of a team of people who's building one of these DApps? How do you think about the team versus the crowd of people um, and how to like incentivize them to to help out with building the the DApp that you're building? Um, I'll be totally honest. In, in, in my response to that, I, I will actually sort of um, say I'm not so sure about the premise. Yeah. I think the premise there is still being determined. Yeah. I think uh, I think this whole like ICO structure as a new way of raising funds is 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 so new that we're not really sure how it pans out uh, in the post raise part of the of the process we've we've been around long enough to see like tezos and and certain teams raise just ridiculous amounts of cash in like two hours right but we're not we have not yet seen how that translates into a mature company or a mature um you know investment on the part of the people who, who are using the tokens in that way so um you know it's interesting because you can always play devil's advocate uh here um, if people look at this and they say, oh, this is a sign of like an immature market and no one should be putting $200 million into a company that doesn't even, have a, doesn't even have a product yet, you can easily just say, well, like, okay, well, why is there half a billion dollars put into yep. Magic Leap? Or you know, why is there as much money put into, uh, into Uber even though they're not profitable? So um, yeah. you can play devil's advocate. But, That's a good point. Yeah, but, um, but devil's advocate to the devil's advocate is still there. Um, <laughs> right. Like these, a lot of companies are, are vaporware. A lot of them are pump and dump. Um, it's definitely an immature market in general. Um, I think the legalese is, is starting to really sort of coagulate and, and solidify. Um, and I think things are, are starting to get a lot more professional. I think we'll see a shakeout of the of sort of the, the scammers here. Um, but uh, I think the question really remains to be seen, and it's not necessarily the case that people are incentivized to bring in other people um, and use the essentially the the cash that they raised in order to, to do good open source governance here. Um, some of these people could be going after ICOs just to make a lot of money for the founders. So um, it remains mm-hmm. to be seen. Yeah, so it's sort of interesting. Um, sorry, one sec. So it's, it's sort of interesting because there's a double-edged sword here. We're talking about democratizing fundraising such that a team doesn't have to be in Silicon Valley and know a lot of people in the old boys club in order to be successful. But the other double-edged sword of that is that you get uh, a lot of new money. A lot of people have made money in the cryptocurrency run-up over the last several months uh, and people who aren't accredited investors. So they aren't as sophisticated with respect to... Uh, evaluating opportunities and uh, just from like putting blockchain engineer in my LinkedIn profile uh, and getting like four four messages or requests a day. I know that there's a lot of people that are out there that are just using this uh, ICO craze as a way to raise non-dilutive capital and they're not actually decentralized applications at all. So I think that there's a lot of people looking for a short term bus or a short term buck uh, with this ICO trend. And I'm curious to see the system evolve such that uh, the, you know, so the original question was how do how does it change what it means to be a CTO? And I think that like the the companies that are going to win are distributed networks with a long term alignment between 
the developers and the software team and their their users. So I'm developing an ICO right now for a distributed application, and I've built a contract called ETH Vesting that only allows the development team to withdraw 150th of its funds every month. So that signals to the investors that uh, me and my team are in it for the long term. I would love to see more applications out there that are designed to align incentives between investors and uh, and the team, because I think that aligned incentives create better outcomes in the long term. Yeah, and this is something that uh, a fellow consensus uh, colleague of mine, Jeff Ward, has really harped on a lot, that um, he and, and a few others have basically said, you know, uh, for any up-and-coming token launches, uh, they'll only participate if the sort of like governance of how the, um, the money will be spent in relation to milestones uh, is codified in, in a smart contract. And I think that's a, that's a really great um, direction to, to mm-hmm. take things. Um, I, I wanted to spend a little bit of time just to kind of step back a little bit for the, for the listeners to kind of understand um, what it means to have an ICO, what the tokens represent, and sort of what these new businesses might look like. Um, the, these protocols are often referred to as utilities. Um, and uh, there's a, a certain disruption that these utilities are often um, you know, supposed to, uh, supposed to target. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to just kind of describe that real quick, uh, if I could take a minute. Do it. Yeah. So, um, so some people might wonder like, what is an ICO and like, what is a token? Um, it's not a stock. It's not a share. It's not a representation of partial ownership of a company. Uh, a token is a representation of a, a, a unit of redemption for a, some sort of a, a, a software service. Mm-hmm. And often what is being developed um, on top of the Ethereum blockchain and on others are referred to as protocols or, or utilities. And it's essentially open source code uh, where you can kind of unlock functionality from that protocol, be it file storage. Um, like IPFS is essentially like a distributed file storage system. SIA is something very similar. SIA is kind of like a distributed Dropbox. Um, IPFS is kind of like a distributed Amazon S3. Um, and when I say they're distributed or they're a protocol or they're a utility, it means that there's a bunch of computers all contributing to this network in the same way that the Bitcoin network is con- consists of a bunch of computers. Uh, and they provide some additional behavior uh, that can be unlocked by those tokens. So on IPFS, for instance, uh, which uh, is undergoing a token launch right now, you'll uh, pay with Filecoin. Um, for the ability to um, house files on this distributed network. And when you put your file on there, it doesn't end up on a server on Amazon. Uh, it ends up going through an algorithm that chops it up into a bunch of different shards and encrypts it uh, and then scatters it around the world so that it's, um, uh, it's co-located and, and geographically redundant. Um, the protocol is also supposed to be smart enough to, to sort of like push copies of the data close to where you are so that it gets to you fast. Um, so that's an example of how um, this open source code ends up creating this like IPFS system. Um, but the important thing to note there is that no one owns it, right? It's maintained uh, by open source developers. Um, there happens to be a, a company called Protocol Labs that employs a number of those open source developers for this particular uh, protocol for IPFS. Uh, but the point is that anybody can develop on mm-hmm. top of it. And so you end up creating these public utilities um, that then enable a new sort of layer uh, of businesses to be developed on top um, of, these, of these protocols and these, these capabilities that they mm-hmm. offer. Um, and the, 
sort of realistic uh, future version of what gets uh, offered on top of IPFS is, is Web3, as the decentralized internet. So one of the things that people have said is that the internet is broken, that you know, our data, our pictures, things that, uh, that, that re we really uh, should have ownership of sit on Facebook servers. They have ownership of them. If Facebook changes their terms of service, you can lose your pictures uh, and never get back these, uh, these memories, um, things that really you sort of like contributed to Facebook and Facebook made money mm -hmm. off of uh, by serving you advertisements. So really, you should own those things. Uh, so on the distributed web of the future, you will um, pay extremely low prices to house your data on IPFS, and you'll download a single-page JavaScript app, uh, which will be a DAP, a distributed app, uh, that will leverage different protocols, including IPFS, to pull files up and then uh, offer different behavior, for, behavior to you. Uh, other protocols uh, like Uport or other uh, distributed um, identity providers um, will basically do private-public key pair, um, um, uh, signing for you so that you never have yeah. to log into a, uh, a website with a password again. And all these, these public utilities form the protocols of the future to, to make Web 3.0. I, I love the Filecoin example because, <laughs> yeah, uh, because it's, it just perfectly illustrates what Web 3 could become. Uh, I, a lot of our audience is probably familiar with Amazon AWS and what we're talking about here with respect to uh, Filecoin yep. is just the unbundling of AWS yep. to a decentralized system, and it perfectly illustrates the vision of Ethereum as a world computer. I think. Exactly, it's it's the commoditization of these private businesses, um, and this, the complete reduction of uh, of the price to basically a public utility price. But in turn, you you basically open up uh, the gate for a revolution of new businesses to come right. and be built on top of those. So, um, go ahead, Reese. I do... Oh, I was just going to say, I fully agree with all this, and the, the thing, uh, Thoughts on Tokens by Abology and Naval is a great example of this, and that the tokens mm -hmm. are essentially paid API keys. Um, so I'm a huge fan of that side. There is, I do also think that's worth noting the kind of mimetic or collectible value of tokens, um, <laughs> with something like Dogecoin as an example, with the $200 million market cap, where <laughs> the tokens themselves are a representation of the strength of a given, essentially, Reddit's uh, subreddit. Um, and as a result of that mimetic value, and these are this is work that um, various people in the space, like Simon de la Rouvier from Consensus have done, um, is saying, hey, this collectible or scarce value here, or mimetic value, is um, it, it, it's very different than the utility value in that there's no, yeah, it's not like it does something, you know, but what it can do kind of is just kind of, again, it's that representation of a community in kind of tokenized form and a way for people to kind of come together over a given kind of crypto tribe or Reddit tribe. So I do think it is, I think that the utility one will be, it's tough to say which one's going to be more or less important, but I do also always try to think about the collectible. True. Well. I haven't heard that term before, mimetic value. So we have to add that to my token types list. So uh, I think that we're getting towards the bottom of the hour. So uh, let's start wrapping up. Final thoughts from either you, either of you guys. One thing that's on the top of my mind is um, how I think that some people might see this space as kind of a little bit intense and scary to get into, um, but. 
I think that once you start putting yourself out there within the space, I've been incredibly surprised personally by how welcoming and open the space was um, to new people. And, and part of that is because you're incentivized to increase the price of your cryptocurrency. And so there's a crypto tribalism. But it's also just this like there's this – and I think that there's a lot of people who are – who look at the status quo of society and you're like, oh, man, I want to change this. Like and wouldn't it be better if we did X, Y, or Z? And it's like, oh, but that's so hard and I'm so far away from politics and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think that you essentially – you have all those thoughts about like wanting to do good for the world and you go into the blockchain crypto and you're like, oh, my god. All these people are trying to do good too um, and they want me to be with them trying to do good. So I think that there's a – there's this – I do think that there's an underlying – or at least with the people that I try to work with, an underlying do-good mentality to the whole thing and an underlying kind of welcoming, oh, do you want to learn? Here's some resources. I'll help you out. Um, and, and so I think that if you're a person who's thinking about getting deeper into the space, um, any of the three of us would be happy to talk and so would um, anybody else in this decentralized distributed Second system. In. So um, don't be afraid to, to dive in there. Absolutely. And yeah. And, and I would just I would just sort of uh, um, rehash that by saying just the power of these technologies um, and sort of the propensity of them to uh, enact major change in any number of places in the world right now is incredibly motivating. Um, you know, when people come into consensus, um, if uh, if they don't find a a team to land on, they're they're motivated just as much to basically identify um, uh, an industry that could potentially be disrupted. Uh, by blockchain and, and work on that thing, and uh, you know, fairly frequently uh, you're able to to land on a new idea because once you sort of replace um, a uh, a current sort of like juggernaut in a space with a, a protocol or utility, it it tends to sort of like flip things on its head. Um, yep. It takes sort of the the typical uh, American entrepreneurial capitalism uh, angle of attack. Uh, and sort of like does this sleight of hand and suddenly reveals all these new opportunities. Um, so people come into the space and suddenly realize like the world is their oyster, uh, and it's easy to find motivation to go out and, uh, and feel like you're making a big impact. Yeah, I think that that's a... That feeling of like you have a bunch of people and young people who are like, oh, I want to have an impact on the world. And it's kind of harder to have an impact by like going up some kind of other ladder. But within the um, within the blockchain ecosystem, it feels easier to have a bigger in- impact more quickly. Um, the other thing that I want to say that that made me remind of that, that caused things um, of the system. Are you guys still here, by the way? Yeah, sorry about that. I think my connection dropped for a second there. I'm- not sure exactly what happened, but uh, we're back. Sweet. So yeah, plus one with what Matt said, and this idea that we're changing a lot of root causey things uh, empowers me within the space. Great. Uh, and then final question: Where can everyone? Uh, where can our listeners find you online? You can find me if you go to patreon.com slash uh, Reese Lindmark, that's slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. You can support me on Patreon or you can find me on Twitter uh, with the same R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. Great. Thank Re- Thanks, Reese. And Matt, yes, we can hear you. Oh, looks like Matt just dropped. <laughs> Matt, yes, we can hear you. Uh, the question was, where can people find you online? Cool, yeah. So uh, I'm pretty much Mateo Del Norte everywhere online. I spent some time traveling around South America and living in Colombia for a while. And that became my online moniker. So uh, 
everywhere Twitter uh, and everywhere on the interwebs Mateo Del Norte great yeah and we'll have links to both of your profiles in the uh, show notes okay alright thanks y'all cool. awesome it's been a blast thanks for having us thanks Cheers. so much Kevin peace Thanks for listening. Find us at startupcto.io or on Twitter at startupctoio. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next episode.